In Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Exodus 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Uh, my name is Stephen Coppenrath, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. Um, hey, just two things just to start us off before we jump into scripture. Uh, first thing is just a reminder. Uh, one of the things that's great about being outside is just the, re- the reminder for us as a church that we ought to be outward f- uh, focused in many ways, outward facing, thinking about those who are outside the church. And as we consider that, uh, there are a number of church plants and organizations and families that we're supporting through our To the End of the Earth campaign. Campaign. And so I just want to continue to remind you guys and encourage you, if you have um, uh, decided as a family to support that, uh, be faithful, not giving. We'd love to be able to see those gifts come in before the end of the year. Um, if, if you want to take a few, uh, a little bit longer than that too, that's okay. But um, there are certainly a lot of great things that I know that um, I, we believe the Lord has planned through that campaign. And so I want to encourage you to jump on and be faithful in that. And then secondly, actually next week is our Advent um, kind of season at Foothill Church. And so I just want to encourage you especially um, as you think about people in your life who are far from the Lord, who don't have maybe a home church, uh, to invite them in, this, in these next months, in these next uh, weeks. Uh, it's a great chance for them to hear about uh, what God is doing at, at Foothill Church and also in this season of the church during Advent. So um, definitely invite your friends. We're going to have a series starting up next week, and uh, we're excited about that, okay? Well, um, as we jump in here this morning, as you just heard, we're in Exodus 6, verses 1 through 9. And last week, actually, Pastor Chris walked us through, um, in chapter 5, a number of questions. Kind of a series of questions that were asked in that chapter, um, ending with a question from Moses to God that was actually pretty relatable and pretty understandable. And um, so I want to go back actually just a little bit and read the end of chapter 5 together and remind ourselves kind of how we're jumping in here to this passage, okay? Chapter 5 says this in verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. 
if you recall from last week, if you recall kind of the story where we're at so far in Exodus, there's a lot of frustration and disappointment here. There's, there's a bit of the sense that Moses kind of thought this would be going differently at this point, that when he was originally called by, by, by God to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt, he maybe thought this would happen a little faster than, than it has. And so Moses practices his speech for, for hours in the mirror and he gets coaching and feedback on the delivery. And when the time came, he stood in front of Pharaoh and he said those words perfectly. He said, let my people go. And what happens? Well, as we know, Pharaoh does not respond the way that Moses had hoped. In fact, he actually responds in, in a bad way and increases the hardship of the Israelites. And the Israelites turn in anger to Moses because of it. And so if you're Moses at the end of chapter 5, there's a sense of disappointment here. There's a sense of, a sense of frustration because this isn't going the way that he had hoped for. And, and so he complains. He questions. And, and that's kind of where we start this, this sermon this morning, is a, a place of questioning and frustration and disappointment. And if we're honest, we follow the same exact pattern. We, we follow the same pattern because oftentimes there's this paradigm, there's this box that we try and put God in, and if God acts differently than the way we thought that he should or would, then we get frustrated. We start questioning his goodness. We start questioning his ability because our preferred plan isn't going the way we thought. And yet as we look at chapter 6, God in his kindness, he answers Moses. He encourages Moses in chapter 6. Or as it literally says in my ESV Bible in the subheading, God promises deliverance. God promises deliverance. And so that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Moses has this question and God literally answers this question by reminding Moses of who he is and what he will do and what he's done. And I, I believe truly that there are some things in this, these verses that will be encouraging to you in this season. So I just want to remind you that while, while we talked about at the beginning of Exodus, um, look, you're not the hero of Exodus. We're not supposed to read ourselves in the scripture, but we can kind of eavesdrop into what Moses is learning here and, and find that there are some things here for us because we also have questions. We also have doubts. We also have fears. And so let's eavesdrop on this lesson that Moses, as this new leader, is, is learning. So we're going to learn three things in God's response to Moses in chapter 6. We're going to see two encouragements, two encouragements and one warning. Okay, two encouragements and one warning. The first thing is this. God reintroduces himself to Moses. That's the first thing we see here. God reintroduces yourself to, to himself to Moses. Have you ever been in a situation before where maybe you're like, you've met this person five times before, you're like, what is their name again? You know, unfortunately, it happens all the time as a pastor, and, and we, we try not to do it. We try to remember names, but there's this sense of like, sometimes you, you've met them before, you've had an interaction with them before, and, and we've all experienced it. And yet, we have to kind of be reintroduced from time to time. And that's what's happening here because Moses is forgetting who God is. Look at verse 1 again, chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, 
the land in which they lived as sojourners. Let's stop there. The, the thing I want you to see first off the bat is, is verse 2. And if you have a pen or a highlighter or if you, you have an app that allows you to highlight, I would encourage you to actually even just highlight or underline, I am the Lord in verse 2. I am the Lord. That's very important because God is telling Moses explicitly who he is, his name. And he will go on actually three times in verse 6 and in verse 8 to, to say this again. We see God repeat himself over and over again. I am the Lord. And, and you may or may not know this, but the Lord is translated as, as Yahweh. That's the name of God, Jehovah. That's the, the, the name of the Lord. And so he says, this is my name. And uh, look, from a literary standpoint, some of you may know this already, but when God inspired the writing of Scripture um, by scribes, as they wrote this down, there, there wasn't this wide range of tools that they had at their ready um, to kind of like emphasize certain things. And so like today, they didn't have the ability to go all caps or highlight it or underline it or italicize important main points. And so as we read our Bibles... And when we see things that are, are repeated over and over again, that's the Bible's version of saying, hey, this is the main idea. This is the important thing. And these verses, verses 1 through 9 especially, God repeats this idea, I am the Lord, three times. So whatever the details are that we're going to jump into the minutia of these verses, I am the Lord is the lens that we're supposed to read these verses through. That's, that's the lens that we're supposed to see that information through. And God says, Moses, let me remind you of my name. Now, there's an issue in verse 3 that I want to jump into, that we need to address. Because you, you may notice here, let me read verse 3 again. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Well, that's interesting because you know, it, it prompts the question, was the name Yahweh known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Was this a, a name that was new to them or, or not? And that's confusing because actually the, the word Yahweh is actually used a hundred times in Genesis. And so is this a mistake in our Bibles? Is what's going on here? So here, here's the deal. There's a couple of ways to deal with this issue. And um, there's one way that scholars deal with this issue. And I'll say right off the bat that I don't think it's a good, a good solution. Uh, and it's called the documentary hypothesis. And I won't fully get into it. You can look it up later if you want to. But basically the idea is with this theory is that when we come to um, passages of scripture like this, there's this sense that, okay, well, maybe what happened here was that there was this group of people who actually wrote the Pentateuch um, over different, different periods of time. And so they kind of all contributed to the history of Israel in these first five books of the Bible. And, and so when we get to places like this where something kind of contradicts, well, maybe that means on the first pass when God reveals himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he just kind of calls himself God. And then after the fact, these scribes or these contributors write in Yahweh afterwards because that's kind of what they mean. So it, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but it's, it's really not that important. But there's this sense that um, they're, they're kind of predating the information. Well, this is what he meant anyway. This is the documentary hypothesis. And personally, I don't buy it. Because what we see in Scripture, what we see in the Bible is that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. That's what the Bible says. And so that's kind of our default start place. And, and that's what we need to believe. And, and that's not just me. In fact, actually, John Calvin, the, the famous French theologian from the 16th century, also uh, comments on this. And he says this. It'll be on the screen as well. 
about this verse. Nor does God by his name in this passage mean syllables or letters. Instead, the knowledge of his glory and majesty, which shone out more fully and more brightly in the redemption of his church than in the commencement of the, of the covenant. For Abraham and the other patriarchs were content with a smaller measure of light, once it follows that the fault of their descendants would be less excusable if their faith was not answerable to the increase of their grace. Meanwhile, Moses later on is awakened to activity whilst God is setting before him a magnificent and singular means of showing forth his glory. Okay, what does that mean? In other words, Calvin asserts that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew the name Yahweh. They knew God's name. But they didn't fully understand the meaning of that name. That the patriarchs may know the name of the Lord, that Yahweh was known to them, but they didn't fully know the power of that name. They didn't fully understand what that name means. That, that, name, mean, that name literally means every promise that I make, I keep. That his name is tied to his character and his covenant-keeping nature. Listen, this is important because as we kind of think about our own lives and how we interact with God a little bit, it is completely plausible that you know God by name, but you really don't know anything about him at all. Maybe you've even had an interaction with God, a, a moment with God at church at one point, and yet you really don't have any relationship with him. Um, let me share a story of how this kind of illustrates this. It's not a perfect story, but it gets us there a little bit. So when I was in high school, um, I went to a private school in Pasadena. And we were, at the time, the girls' volleyball team was, was very good. So everyone in school would, would show up at their games. It would kind of be this big social event. It would be very exciting and fun. And so I'd go with my friends. And this one game in particular, we show up. And there's a lot of people there. And I'm sitting in the stands in this gym. And um, I kind of lean forward for a little bit. And then I leaned back. And be between that time when I le leaned forward and leaned back, someone kind of slipped in behind me and um, kind of sat right behind me. So when I leaned back, I leaned in this guy's lap. And I was like really, like, I jump up. I'm 17 years old. It's super awkward because I touched someone else, right? It's like, okay, that's, that's strange. And so I turn around. And I say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Apologize. And, and who's behind me? True story. Kevin Costner is sitting behind me. <laughs> the, the actor, Kevin Costner. And so I, I get up and apologize, and I'm like, oh, sorry, Mr. Costner, right? And I kind of had this awkward interaction with him. And it turns out that Kevin Costner is actually, he's, his daughter is, 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 is playing in the volleyball game the opposite of our school. And so as a dad, he's there just to cheer her on. But it's Kevin Costner, right? I kind of have this little bit of a, like a fangirl moment. I'm like, wow, this is like a celebrity behind me. And so... Um, I, we didn't really have much of an interaction at all, but by the end of the week, at the end of the week, I told all my friends about it, and the kind of story kind of grown a little bit. Like, yeah, we were sharing popcorn together, and we were, we were talking about movies, and I had this, you know, me and Kevin are kind of buddies. And the th thing is, is that actually I knew a little bit about Kevin Costner because I'd seen his movies, and uh, some of my favorite movies, Dances with Wolves, and Field of Dreams, Tin Cup, and, and he was one of the greatest stars of the 90s, as you guys remember. And... The, the thing is, is that I knew a lot about Kevin Costner, but I actually didn't know Kevin Costner, right? Like if I saw him today and it's like, hey, Kevin, hey, it's me, little Asian guy from 20 years ago. Remember that? Remember that interaction we had? And like get crickets, right? It'd be nothing. And, and my point is this, is God, God is giving to Moses 
a fully more realized understanding of what it means to know himself. A more illuminated view. And God is saying to Moses, my moral character, who I am, how I keep promises is tied up in my name. And so while Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I know that illustration isn't perfect for that, but they, they had a limited view of who I was. But Moses, I want to be explicit with you. And I want you to know what my name means. And so one, two, three times, I'm going to explain to you right now about more about who I am. You see, many times, church, when we ask questions, when we experience fear and doubts, and when we have anxiety about the future, which I know that many of us have had this year, it's because we don't either know or we don't trust God's name fully. We don't trust his name. And so in Exodus 5 verse 22, when Moses turns to God and says, why did you send me? This isn't working out. Why did you do it this way? And when you and I complain, when you and I mourn over all that's been lost in 2020, we need to be reminded that you may not know God the way that you think you do. It's, it's not a problem with God. It's a problem with us not knowing him fully. God has not revealed his full nature and power to us, and yet we must still trust his name, that he is capable and powerful to see us through. That's the first encouragement I want to just offer you this morning. Do you know the name of the Lord? Secondly is this, God has not forgotten his job. God has not forgotten his job. This section of scripture that we get to in verse 6 or verse 5 is what we see scholars call the gospel of Exodus. And it's, it's just really beautiful, just promise after promise after promise. It's a great reminder of what God has promised that he will do. And it's seven things. You can almost bullet point them out. So let me read in verse 5 again. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore, Moses, to the people of Israel, remind them, I am the Lord, and I will, one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Look at these words that God meets Moses with in the midst of his anxiety. Moses says, I don't understand what's happening. This isn't working out the way that I had hoped. And God meets Moses and he says, look, I will bring you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you. But God doesn't just rescue us. He says this in verse 7, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So not only does God save the people of Israel, but he promises to make, to remake them, to remake the people of Israel into a new people. And God promises uh, that look, you can serve a new ruler, serve a better leader. And finally, in verse 8, we see God giving an inheritance. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give to you, I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. The gospel of Exodus. Do you notice what all these verbs start with? Do you notice that in those verses, there's, they all start in the first person. I will. I will do this. I will do this. This is monergism to the core. Monergism, it's, it's this idea that God alone, it's God alone who does the salvation work in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And the problem is that like for so many of us every day, when we approach God and when we interact with God, we like Moses, we expect to interact with God of synergism. That there's this cooperation between human will and God's will and that I have to kind of bring something to the table and if I don't, then God won't do his part. And that's what Moses was expecting. But that's not what Exodus 6 says. God says, no, before you were even around Moses, I made a promise, I made a covenant and I'm going to complete that work. I made a covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and because I said I would do it, I'll do it. And my name, my name is good. I will fulfill the covenant on my own. I haven't forgotten the work that I'm called to do as as God. Church, one of the greatest ways that sin can get into our hearts, it's sometimes not just blatant like, you know, lust or pride or anger. These kind of things that we think about when we think about our sin issues, whatever the issue is for, for you and I every day. Instead, sometimes sin tricks us into thinking that we should be active in the way God is active. That we ought to be doing things in order to get things going. And what we fail to realize is that that's God's job. And it started in the Garden of Eden. That we can somehow be smart enough and good enough to to be just like God. And this is what happens to to Adam and Eve. The serpent comes in and and tricks Eve into thinking, hey, you, you don't need to follow God. You can just do it yourself. You can just... Go about and force destiny with your own hands. You can eat of the fruit and be wise, just like God. And you see, we are just like Adam and Eve and Moses to this day because instead of trusting God's promises, instead of trusting those I wills, we take things into our own hands and we want to get to work. We want to get to work. I mean, just think about even practically the last nine months. How many of us, maybe those of you who have had more time at home, it's kind of just hard to sit around. And so we do projects, we, we do gardens, we make sourdough bread, we, all the things that we kind of accomplished and got into, it's because we don't like to sit around and, and just be. We don't like to rest. And it's easier to point to our accomplishment as opposed to rest and what God is doing. But church, when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our, our sal- salvation, our assurance is not established by what we do. That's not what scripture says. That's not what the psalmist says in Psalm 20 verse 7. When he says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, let's really lean into application right now. Let's think again about these these seven promises. Look back at your Bibles. These seven promises to the Israelites. And I want to just do a little bit of connecting the dots and remind you of some biblical theology of, of what Jesus says in the New Testament as well. And so in, in verse 6, to the Israelites, God says, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. And Jesus says, I will make your yoke easy and your burdens light. God says to the Israelites, I will deliver you from slavery to the Egyptians. In Hebrews 2.15, I will deliver all those who from fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Jesus says, I will redeem you from the power and the penalty of sin because I give my life as a ransom for sinners. God says to the Israelites, I will take you to be my people. Ephesians 2 says, I will bring you near to me, you who are far from me, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
to the Israelites, Israel, I will be your God. Revelation 21.3, I will dwell with you. You will be my people and I will be with you as your God. Israel, I will bring you into the land that I promised to give you. Jesus says, I will go and prepare a place for you and come again and take you to myself. That's where I am. There you will be also. And finally, God says to Israel, I will give it to you as a possession. And Jesus says, I will give you your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let me remind you again, church, God has not forgotten his job. God has not forgotten the things that he has promised his people, his work. Our God loves to make promises. But sometimes as his people, we wrestle with unbelief. We wrestle with doubting. And so that's kind of our, our last point this morning. I mentioned there's going to be two encouragements and one warning. And our warning to end this passage is, is simply this. Number three, our discouragement can lead to unbelief. Be careful, church, because our discouragement can lead to unbelief. Look at verse 9. Do you see what happens here in verse 9? Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. He delivered everything that God told him to deliver. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This was not an interpersonal conflict issue between Moses and the people. It doesn't say that they didn't listen to Moses because they were mad at Moses or because they doubted his leadership. They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I find verse 9 to be incredibly interesting because on one hand, it's, it's, it's sad. It's a sad verse that we have to kind of end on here. But on the other hand, it's, it's realistic. This is oftentimes how people respond when they hear kind of like news that they think that maybe is, is too good to be true. And Moses speaks all these promises over the Israelites, these seven, seven I wills, these seven promises of liberation, of redemption, of, of bringing out of slavery, of a new land, of a new possession. But they don't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Or as Kevin DeYoung puts it, he says this, the, the I wills of salvation lead to an I won't from God's people. The I wills of salvation lead to an I won't of God's people. God says, I will. I'll do this. I will do this. I will, I will. And God's people respond, I won't believe you. I won't believe you. Well, why? Because, because of their pain. Because of their suffering. Because they were tired. I mean, literally, as you can translate this phrase, they did not listen because of the shortness of wind, because of the shortness of spirit. It's this idea of being out of breath, of being so just tired that you're out of breath. In fact, I went for a, a, a bike ride this past week. This is something that I'm trying. We'll see how it goes, okay? But I went for a bike ride last week with a friend and experienced what it's like to be out of breath recently, kind of, you know, in a long time. I, I need to exercise. But... There's, there's this moment when you're doing something physically when you can't talk, you're out of breath, you're uncomfortable, you start to kind of question, like, should I be doing this? And, and doubt starts to creep in. And, and we probably can all remember what that feels like. And, and literally, I'm straining for breath. And um, in, in fact, about halfway through, my buddy Ryan, who I'm on the bike ride with, we get to this crest and he says, this is a good, this is a good place to stop and evaluate your purchase, right? This is a good place for us to kind of think about, is this the right decision? And in the same way, the Israelites are panting. 
They're out of breath. They're tired. It's demoralization brought on by exhaustion. And I'm sure that describes some of us this year as well. Demoralization brought on by exhaustion. Foothill, is that what you're feeling? Are you too hurt? Are you too tired to believe, to, to think about who God is and what he's promised us? And it's, it's understandable. It's all too human that we would take the I wills of verses 6 through 8 and turn them into an I won't of unbelief. But that's why God in his kindness repeats himself over and over and over again. And he says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. I am provider. I I will do these things for you. You see, I think many of us are like the Israelites. We knew God. We knew his name. Remember? I mean, in the same way that I know Kevin Costner. Right? There's this sense of familiarity. Maybe this interaction I had uh, a long time ago. And some of us are still kind of riding the coattails of an experience we had in church many years ago. Or a time 20, 50 years ago where you walked an aisle or you went to camp and you're still riding that high of like, yeah, I know God. I know who he is. But you don't believe him. You don't trust him. There's an unbelief when it comes to his promises. And so in your head, you have this good theology of, yeah, I know God is mighty to save. That's his job. But in your own heart, you don't really believe that for yourself. Do you trust in the name of the Lord for the church? I I pray that, that you would trust in his name. Do you trust that he has a plan? Have you ever been driving with someone? And you, you're in the passenger seat and they're driving and you kind of start to wonder, do they actually know where they're going? Right? Have you ever had that experience before where, and you kind of say it, hey, have you ever been here before? Have you ever been to the place where we're headed to? And they're like, yeah, yeah, totally. And they, they don't, but they're like checking their phone on the side, right? Like, yeah, totally. And they're driving. And sometimes I feel like we're like that with the Lord where we're in the passenger seat and we're like, God, have you actually ever been to where we're going before? Do you know what you're doing? And God's like, yeah, just, just trust me. And so there goes God. He's taking right turn, left turn, all these bad turns and this shortcut or whatever. And all of a sudden we show up and we're, we're there at the destination. And we're like, what? God, you, you know how to, how to drive? You know what you're doing? And we're so shocked by that. And I think in the same way, church, we have to remember and trust in God's name. And so as we sit this morning in the passenger seat of, of the Christian life, We have to take the long view. We have to remember passages like Exodus 6 where Moses is just starting his journey and the blessings of the promised land are still in front of him. There's so many good things for Moses to come. And in the same way, church, we are, I know some of you are are older, some of you are younger. It doesn't matter if you're 9 or or 90. We are just starting our spiritual journeys. And and we have so much to look forward to as far as a, a spiritual inheritance. Because the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no tongue can confess the good things that God has for those who love him. And so God kept his promises in Exodus chapter 6. God kept his promise in that little town of Bethlehem that we're going to celebrate this next month. God kept his promise through Jesus in the empty grave on Resurrection Sunday. And he will keep his promise to you. And every eye will covenant of uh, a promise will become an I did of gospel rescue. Let's bow our heads together.
God, uh, we, we thank you for this reminder from, from Moses and this conversation you had with him many, many years ago. And God, in some ways, it seems like it's, it has nothing to do with us. And yet, as we think about the time that we're in, as we think about all the, 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 the doubts and questions that we have, God, it's, it's clear that this is a word for all of us. And so, Lord, I just, I just ask that you would, you would make yourself clear to the people um, here at church today. God, many of, many of us have heard your name throughout the years. Many of us have had an experience with you, maybe in a church setting, maybe even here at Foothill. But God, it's been so long before we actually, since we actually trusted in your name and stepped out in faith because of your good character and your promises. And so God, would you just remind us this morning of who you are and what you've done and what you have promised to do. Some of us are so overwhelmed when we look at the world around us. And we think about all the things that are going around. And, and God, we're just, it's just overwhelming. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would meet us in this moment. Remind us of your goodness. We pray this in your name. Amen.